Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want non-stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy! Dangerous Assignment, transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to put a new switch on an old saying. Not only is the pen mightier than the sword, the paintbrush is mightier than the dynamite. Morning, Commissioner. You sent for me? Steve, back in 1948, the Turkish government embarked on a vast road-building project. A nine-year program was laid out, an agreement made with our government on financial aid. Sure, we've also sent a lot of our engineers over there. Right. The Turkish people have shown concentrated effort and determination in building these roads. Despite the handicaps, lack of industry, experience, difficulty of the terrain, the work has moved ahead on schedule in all fronts. All but one. Trouble? Nothing but trouble, Steve. And a road being built in the mountains of eastern Turkey. They've had a series of costly accidents, cave-ins, mysterious explosions, materials destroyed, equipment breaking down, and so on. Smells like sabotage. Yes. Okay, I'm on my way. Contact a man named Hardin Bursher when you arrive, Steve. He's in charge of the operation there. Check with his American advisors. It's vitally important that road be finished and on schedule. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Comedy entertainment is what NBC features each Tuesday evening on this station. Yes, when you set your dial here on Tuesday, you'll hear Fibber McGee and Molly in another laugh-filled page from the life of Wistful Vista's most amusing citizen. 
And Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis will add to the evening's entertainment with their mad and merry mirth-filled program that's certain to have you laughing from beginning to end. Red Skelton is another of NBC's Tuesday night comedians who's always ready and able to provide enjoyable radio listening. While Herb Schreiner brings you Two for the Money, the program that gives away bundles of money and provides 30 minutes of homespun laughing stock as dished up by this Hoosier comedian. Make NBC your headquarters for comedy every Tuesday night. Sure, I've got my assignment. Get over to Eastern Turkey and find out who's throwing a monkey wrench into a road-building program we're helping to finance and supervise. It's late Thursday afternoon when my plane lands at the airport in Sivas, some 300 miles east of Ankara. I hop aboard a train and ride deeper into the mountains. It's well after dark when I jump off at a small whistle stop. The station is deserted, almost. In the dim light at the far end of the platform, I see a parked jeep, and leaning against the front fender is a small, slender gent dressed in khaki and field jacket. Uh, sorry if you've been waiting long, Buster, but I... Hey. How are you, Mr. Mitchell? Well, surprised right now. I didn't expect... A woman to meet you? My name is Marga. Marga Sehan. Well, hello. Mr. Bush, you could not come to meet you. He sent me instead. Just throw your suitcase in the back there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's roll, huh? looking at me curiously, Mr. Mitchell. I'm sorry. You are puzzled. What is a woman doing out in this wild, desolate country? I am an engineer. You? A student, really, from the University of Ankara. I see. Getting some experience in the field, huh? Yes. I understand you've run into some difficulties with regard to the road. It was to be expected. We are building a road through country where only pack animals have traveled before. And there have been some accidents, they tell me. Yes. Perhaps that is why you have joined us, Mr. Mitchell. You are perhaps what they call a troubleshooter. Ah, uh, you might call it that. Or I might call it a government agent. What gave you that idea? Just a guess. I knew your government would send someone to investigate before long. You see, Mr. Mitchell, I too do not believe all these accidents have been just accidents. Oh? Mr. Bursch is of the same opinion as is Mr. Babers. He's one of your American advisors. Yeah, there are two of them. How does Harold Kevin feel about the accidents? Isn't that the other one's name? Yes. Kevin thinks they are simply accidents. How long has he been with the outfit? Three months. And by a strange coincidence, the accident began happening shortly after he arrived. I see. Anything else? Yes. I'll tell you something else, Mr. Mitchell. Only because I know you would find out about that too sooner or later. Harold, Kevin, and I were secretly married in Ankara last year. <laughs> conversation drops to zero, we ride in silence for the next hour, grinding, bouncing over the road, climbing higher and higher into the mountains. Finally, Marga wheels the jeep into a clearing, a shelf dug into the side of the hill where some other trucks are parked. We walk to the edge of the canyon and look down. A dozen or more floodlights illuminate the work area below, tents, tool sheds, bulldozers, and other equipment. And rising out of the canyon floor are huge pillars of concrete and steel. The night shift has been abandoned. Lack of material and equipment. What's being done about it? A train is on its way from Sivas now, loaded with more than enough material for us to resume a full schedule. More trucks, tractors, cranes, spare parts, and so on. Good. Well, let's get down there. We go it on foot from here? Yes, down this path. Come along. This is the farthest point your road has reached? Yes. Just a moment, Mr. Mitchell. Yeah, sounds like 
Hey, look out. Get back. Oh. I reach out and pull Marga off the trail as the first of the huge boulders roars past us. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> you okay? Yes, I'm all right. Brother, that was a little too close for comfort. Another, shall we say, accident. Yeah. Earmarked for me, looks like. Huh? Hello! Hello up there! The noise has attracted the camp. Yes! Who is that I am down there? Okay. Who's that? Abers, one of the American advisors. The man with him is Mr. Bursha. Come along. Hey! You two start that ruckus up there? No, Mr. Abers, we did not. You are not harmed, my dear. Not harmed. This is Mr. Mitchell, Mr. Bursha, Mr. Abers. Mr. Bursha? How do you do, Mr. Mitchell? Abers, glad to have you with us. Uh, Marga, is not Mr. Kevin with you? Why, no. I had not seen him for some time. Mr. Abers, have you seen him? Uh, no, not for a couple of hours. Margo, we better see what damage those boulders caused. Of course. Good night, Mr. Mitchell. Good night. If there's anything I can do to help you get settled, Mitchell, let me know. Sure, Abers. Those rocks, Mr. Mitchell. No accident. You're telling me. Look, Mr. Bursha, just who knows why I'm here? No one but myself. The others think you are an engineering consultant. Marga doesn't. She had me spotted as a government agent right off the bat. Uh, guess, she said. The others could make a guess, too. Yes, I suppose. About this man named Kevin. A fine engineer, Mr. Mitchell. What's all this done to your schedule? Well, we are some two weeks behind. Still, we have a chance to catch up. And we will, Mr. Mitchell, once the equipment and the material arrive. They train, huh? Yes, it will be here early in the morning. That train means everything to us. We can return to our work, step up the schedule, finish the road before the rains come. We... The ground suddenly jumps up on earth. Bursh and I find ourselves standing in a shower of rocks and debris, all of it coming from the rim of the canyon overhead. Bursh springs into action, starts up the path. I know he's headed for the tunnel, and I'm right behind him. We're halfway up the canyon wall. When I spot someone crawling among the boulders, I let Bursh go ahead, duck off the path, and circle around. And I reach out and grab. Hold it, Buster. Drop the knife. Drop it. That's... Okay. Now get up on your feet. Mitchell! Mitchell! Over here, Bursha. What is it? What happened? Just caught our friend here creeping along the path. Why, this is one of the workers. His name is Dapur, from Afghanistan. What happened up there? In the tunnel. Someone set off a charge of dynamite. This gent, probably. Look out, Mitchell! Dapur dives into Bursha, who snatches into me as I reach out to grab. I miss. Both Bursha and I fall back off the path and slide away down the side of the canyon. Mitchell. Mitchell, are you all right? Yeah, I guess so. That was a neat block he threw on you, Bersha, and a neater one you put on me. I am sorry. He threw me off balance. Yeah. Any sign of our friend? No, I did not see him. He's got to be up there among the boulders somewhere. You take that side, and I'll go up this way. I spend the next ten minutes poking around the boulders along the canyon wall, but there's no sign of Dapur. I finally go back down to the canyon floor and find a group of workers getting ready to start up the path to the tunnel. In their lead is a tall, lanky American who should be the other engineer, Kevin. All right, men, let's go. On the double. Hey, Kevin. What? Oh. Oh, hello. Uh, you must be Mitchell. That's right. I'd like to talk to you, Kevin. Oh, sure. Get going, men. Be right up. Uh, sorry I wasn't around to welcome you, Mitchell. I know. You were out for a walk. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Heard the explosion and came back. Bersha told me what had happened. Oh? When did you see him? Well, just a few minutes ago. He's around here somewhere. I... Oh, what's the matter? What are you staring at? Up there. That cable stretching across the canyon. 
Oh, that. Just a small bucket car we used to haul stuff from one rim of the canyon to the other. Yeah. The car is moving, headed away from the tunnel. Yeah, so it is. Wonder who's using it. Moving very fast. I think we can just about make it. But I don't see anyone in it. If my hunch is right, he's in there. Who is? Now, look, what's this all about? Well, don't see anybody getting out. Come on. Well, looks like my hunch was right, Kevin. Who is it? Our friend Dapur with a knife in his back. Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. Do you remember that old saying, a stitch in time saves nine? Unlike a lot of old proverbs, this one really works, whether you apply it to a chair with loose rungs or your health. Suppose you learned that a few dollars spent now could be that stitch in time that might save your health or the health of your family in the year to come. Sound like a good proposition? Well, here's how it's done. Just buy Christmas seals this Christmas. Yes, the money we spend for Christmas seals now goes for case finding, health education, medical research, and rehabilitation to help fight tuberculosis during the next year. Christmas seal money spent now helps protect us all from the number one killer among infectious diseases, TB. It's the stitch in time that saves human lives and health, prevents economic chaos and the broken homes which often follow in the wake of TB. Don't say it couldn't happen to you, it can, but you take out a little insurance against it, Save lives and prevent misery, your own and your neighbors, when you buy Christmas seals. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Killed poor and why, Mitchell? I don't know who at this point, but I've got a pretty good idea why, Kevin. Oh? Whoever hired Dapur to blow up the tunnel killed him to close his mouth. He either got it while he was trying to make his getaway in this cable car, or else the killer dumped his body in here to hide it. Either way, the killer must be the one who started the cable car in motion. Yeah, I... Huh. What is it? This stain on Dapur's hand. Orange color. Hmm. Well, let's get back down to camp and find out where everyone was a few minutes ago when this cable car started moving. I quite agree, Mitchell. We should all furnish an accounting of our whereabouts during that period of time when Dapur was murdered. Well, we might as well start with you, Mr. Bersha. Very well. I think I can help you there, Mitchell. Well, I saw Bersha climbing up the side of the canyon toward the top shortly before I joined you down here. Oh? Of course. But if you will remember, Mitchell, we were both searching for Dapur. And in the future, Kevin, I would appreciate it if you would allow me to speak for myself. Just trying to help out, Bershaw. Indeed. Then perhaps you can also help out by explaining your own strange and unsatisfactory attitude up to now. What are you talking about? Calling these incidents which have occurred merely accidents when we all know better? Now, just a minute, Bershaw. Look, 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 calm down, both of you. 
This sort of thing won't get us anywhere. Abers is right. I say, let's get on with the investigation. Okay, I guess we've worked our way around to you, Abers. You and Marga went up to the tunnel after the blast to investigate the damage. Yeah? That's right. Were you together all the time? Well, uh, matter of fact, no. We were separated for a few minutes as we inspected the scene of the blast. I see. Okay, the way it adds up then, shortly before I spotted that cable car moving across the canyon up there, Bersha was somewhere near the top on one side, Marga and Abers were somewhere near the top on the other side. Now, which side is the cable car controlled from? There's a switch at each end. Oh, great. Uh, Kevin omits one very important fact, Mitch. What's that, Bersha? It is true there is a switch at either end up on the rim. But where was Kevin at the time? I told you, I was down on the floor of the canyon. Mitchell saw me there. That's right. He was organizing a work party near the construction shack. Then it might interest you to know there is a master switch in the shack. It also controls the cable car. What? Okay, so what? I'd forgotten about the master switch. Well, this is just dandy. Any one of you could have killed Doppler and started the cable car. Yeah, at this point, it looks like everybody's trying to get into the act. Bersha and I climb up to the wrecked tunnel, and the workers are starting to clear away the debris. This delay is, of course, a costly one, Mitchell. But we can still finish on schedule when the train arrives with the supplies and equipment. What is it? Over here. Something partially buried in the rubble. Looks like a box of some sort. Yeah. Hey, a dynamite box. Yes, empty. Boards pried off the top. Looks like this is where Doppler opened the box. But where is all the dynamite? You kidding? That's what blew up the tunnel. No. No, not all of it. What do you mean? I told you whoever arranged the blast in the tunnel knew his business. Judging from the sound and the scene of the blast, only a few sticks of dynamite were used there. What? Then where's the rest of it? Dapur must have planted it somewhere. Wait a minute. The train? Mitchell. That could be the big target. Yes. If that train were blown up and the equipment it is carrying lost, the work here would be brought to a complete stop indefinitely. What's that? How long ago? Very well. We're too late, Mitchell. They tell me the train passed the junction and onto our spur line five minutes ago. Oh, great. Then there's no way we can contact it now. No. According to this map, your spur track from the main line is about ten miles long. Yes, very close to that. And somewhere on that ten-mile stretch is the train. Well, also a charge of dynamite. We've got to find it and find it fast. But how? We cannot possibly cover every foot of that track. I know. Look... I figure these points on the map are the trouble points, areas where it's most logical the charge would be set. Now, here... Yes, the area where Dapur and the others were working today. Yeah, then here... Yes, a, a downgrade with a curve at the bottom. Then over here, a new bridge. And this tunnel here. Okay, have Abers, Kevin, and Marga take some workers and start along the track. If the saboteur is one of those three, we'll have the other two as insurance. Have them check the track as they go along, and if they get to the train and it's in one piece, they can flag it down. And what about us? We're going to cut across country to those trouble spots and hope we're in time. Bursha gives the necessary orders, then he and I grab the jeep and roar out of the camp. Six minutes later, we're at our first stop, the section of track where Doppler had been working earlier in the day. We give the area a fast frisk, but no dynamite. The railroad makes a horseshoe bend around the mountains from here. We cut across over the narrow road to our next stop, a downgrade with a sharp curve, but we can't find the charge there either. We're working against time somewhere in these mountains. Is that train, and it's getting closer every minute. We head for the next stop. We are running out of time, Mitchell. 
There remain only the tunnel, the new bridge, and... Wait, there is also a trestle I overlooked earlier. Oh, but the train must have passed over it by now. Hey, wait a minute, the bridge. What about it? Did you say it was new? Why, yes, it was completed just two days ago. Steel construction, girders? Of course. Okay, I'll drop you at the tunnel. I'm heading for that bridge. You think that... Just playing a hunch, Persia, but it better be a good one. I pile out of the jeep and slide down the side of the hill, then work my way under the bridge. I look at the network of new steel girders, and I know my hunch is right. They're still covered with red lead paint, the same shade as the stain on Doppler's hand. Then I spot the charge of dynamite. It's tied to the underside of a horizontal girder about ten feet over my head, but just as I start to climb up, I hear someone coming down the side of the hill. I crouch behind one of the girders. Then I jump. You getting ready to set off your dynamite up there? What? Yes, I see it. You see, I also realized what the stain on Dapur's hand meant. I was hoping against hope the dynamite would not be here, but it is. What? Look, what are you talking about? Right up to now, I had hoped he was not involved. He? Wait a minute. Are you by any chance talking about Kevin? Yes, my husband. His attempt to pass all the incidents off as accidents aroused my suspicions. Then I discovered he was leaving the camp mysteriously at night. You know, you're not exactly in the clear yourself. I'm going to climb up there and get that dynamite, then You're we'll... wrong, Mitchell. What? It's Abers. Yes, it sure is. Now, just hold it, both of you. Well, what do you know? So you're my boy, Abers. Yeah. And you're not going to touch that dynamite, Mitchell. Then my husband is not involved. I think Kevin was trying to pass things off as accidents so he could do a little investigating on the quiet. He followed me out of camp once or twice, nearly caught up with me at the wrong time. Steve, the train. Yeah. What happens now, Abers? After I get through with the two of you, I'm leaving fast. Because when that train hits the bridge, the whole thing goes sky high. Now get over against the bank. Move. Abers probably wants to get us under the bridge before he shoots us, so the wreckage will cover us when the bridge blows up with the train. Unless I come up with something fast, Marga and I are dead ducks. Suddenly, I stumble intentionally and fall to my knees. On your feet, Mitch. I start to get up and then whirl him with my arm up to his wrist. The gun goes flying. I belt him with a left. He sprawls back against the bank. I jump for the girder. I've got to climb and jerk that dynamite loose before the train gets there, and I've got to hurry getting closer, but Abrams isn't through yet. He scrambles to his feet. Marga grabs at his arm, but he knocks her down and out. He dives and catches my leg, drags me off the girder. He swings. I duck. His fist smashes against the girder. I tag him twice. He goes down, and this time he stays. I start up the girder again. Time's running out. The train's almost to the bridge. I keep climbing. Another three feet. The train keeps coming. I spot a wire leading from the dynamite to the detonator. I reach up and jerk it loose just as the train thunders onto the bridge. After a couple of minutes, I climb down to the ground just as Marga gets to her feet. Oh, thank heaven, Steve. If you hadn't jerked that wire loose when you did. Yeah. Hadn't been for that streak of red lead paint on Dapur's hand, I wouldn't have been here to jerk the wire loose. <laughs> That's right. It was fortunate you realized what that stain was. Yeah. Matter of fact, you might call it a red letter day for me. star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. Here's a reminder about NBC's stellar Sunday lineup of superb programming. Each Sunday evening, you'll want to tune this station for one of the finest comedy shows on the air, the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. 
There's mirth and music as Phil and Alice are joined by Julius Abruzio, Elliot Lewis, and Brother William to bring laugh-filled listening for 30 enjoyable minutes. It's truly top comedy entertainment, so be sure to join us Sunday for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. And remember to tune to NBC for Theater Guild on the Air. For on Theater Guild, you'll always hear top stars from Hollywood and Broadway in great dramatic presentations. So be sure to hear Theater Guild Sunday. In the mystery section of NBC's Sunday schedule, there's both Dragnet and Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Dragnet is the true story of your police force in action, the suspense-filled presentation of real police case from crime to punishment. So add this all up and you'll find that it spells great entertainment. Entertainment that's yours for the listening each Sunday on NBC. Next week, Christmas Eve in Sweden in a gift-wrapped bullet. That will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Included in tonight's cast were Vivi Janis, Herb Ellis, Jan Arvan, and Peter Leeds. This is John Storm speaking. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe, and is directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this time, when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. Tomorrow, hear both Father Knows Best and Truth or Consequences on NBC. Assignment. Transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble, but... When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to wind up with me getting the best Christmas present I've ever had right while I'm staring down the barrel of a gun. Morning, Commissioner. Just stopped in to say goodbye. Goodbye? Sure, my vacation starts this morning, remember? I'm running up to New England for Christmas. Snow on the ground, fire in the fireplace, and the little lady I'd most like to eat a boiled dinner with. Sorry, Steve. You mean because you're not going? No, I mean because you're not going. Now, look. I've got an assignment for you, and it can't wait. Commissioner, for the last three years, I've been trying to get Christmas off. So what happens? One year I'm in Alaska, next it's Africa, last year it was India. This year you promised... So I've got to break that promise, Steve. And it looks like you got another Christmas spoiled. Okay, what's the deal? Ever hear of international lecture tours? Now, look, don't tell me I'm supposed to get up on a soapbox and lecture on the Christmas spirit. No, you won't be making any speeches, but you'll be investigating a few people who do. This is an organization of six European professors, Steve. They lecture at universities all over the world, including the United States. What about them? We've had our eye on them for quite a while. 
We've suspected that one of them was using his lectures as a front, that actually he's picking up secret information from contacts in this country and taking it back to Europe with him. Which professor is it? We don't know, but Dr. Gerber does. He's one of the professors, and he's waiting down the hall to talk to you. Find out what you can from him, Steve, then go anywhere and do anything necessary to smash this spy ring. And, uh, incidentally, try to have a halfway decent Christmas. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Merry Christmas. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another dangerous assignment. If you aren't already acquainted with NBC's great Sunday lineup of stellar radio programs, you're missing some of the finest programs on the air. Theater Guild on the Air is one of the great shows aired on this station every Sunday evening. Featuring stars of Broadway and Hollywood in fine dramatic works, Theater Guild offers the best in radio entertainment. And comedy on Sunday wouldn't be complete without the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. Now, we think you'll agree that Phil and Alice join forces to present one of the funniest programs on the air. So, be sure to tune to this NBC station this Sunday and every Sunday for our stellar program lineup. I've got my assignment. Go poke my nose into an international spy ring and have a merry Christmas. I've got an uneasy hunch what kind of a Christmas present I'll get on this deal. Probably a gift-wrapped bullet. I go down the hall to the room where Dr. Gerber, one of the members of the International Lecture Tours, is waiting for me, and he tells me he knows who the foreign agent in the organization is and that he'll tell me on one condition... I must have protection, Mr. Mitchell. Oh, it's no problem. You're safe in this country, Dr. Gerber. You you don't understand. I don't mean protection for myself. What? Here, uh, this this picture. Uh, little boy. Yes, it's my son, Kurt, uh, ten years old. He's the one you want protection for? Yes. I, I know only too well the measure of retaliation which might be employed against the boy if I were to reveal the information I possess. Okay, so we get a bodyguard for him. But Kurt's not with me. He's in the school in Stockholm, Sweden. School run by an Englishman, Horst Wakefield. I had to leave Kurt there. His mother passed away three years ago, and he has no other relatives. Well, we could have somebody from our consulate there pick him up. No, and... no, no, no. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Kurt is registered under his mother's name at school. In schooled. No one must know his true identity until he's absolutely safe. I see. Okay, Dr. Gerber, I guess I'd better hop over there and get your boy myself. Oh, that's what I hoped you would say, Mr. Mitchell. When you return with Kurt, I'll give you the name of the head of the spy ring. So I grab a plane for Stockholm. Dr. Wakefield's school is out of the city a little way as I approach his office. A little girl with long curls comes out and wanders off toward the other children. I show my credentials to Dr. Wakefield and ask him to see Kurt. 
Mr. Mitchell, Kurt has disappeared. Why? Yes, uh, that little girl who just left my office was Ilsa, a playmate of his. I've been questioning her, but she has no idea where he is. I'm worried sick. When did he disappear? I'm not sure, really. What do you mean? Well, last evening, a a woman came to see Kurt. She told me she was his aunt. Kurt's father told me Kurt had no other relatives. But how was I to know that? She said she was his aunt, and I saw no reason to doubt her. Go on. I sent her to his room. I believe she left when regular visiting hours were over. That would be at uh, nine o'clock last evening. What do you mean you believe she left? Aren't you sure? Well, as a matter of fact, I turned in rather early last night. Had a splitting headache. Sounds Uh, like a pretty careless way to run a boarding school, Dr. Wakefield. I resent that, Mr. Mitchell. Ordinarily, I exercise the greatest of care and supervision. But with this headache I had, I was obliged to go to bed. I see. And you don't have any idea when Kurt actually disappeared? No. All I know was that he was missing this morning. Oh, great. I haven't telephoned the police yet, but I think I'd better right now. No, no, wait a minute. Uh, But it seems obvious. The boy's been kidnapped. If he has, I think it's to ensure somebody will keep his mouth shut. That means he's safe as long as the kidnappers don't feel any pressure on them. No, this has got to be done undercover. Let me see what I can find out. Very well, if you think it best that way, Mr. Mitchell. Incidentally, are you familiar with an outfit called International Lecture Tours? Why, uh, yes, they have an office here in Stockholm, on Drottningsgarten, I believe. Drott, Drott... Oh, well, never mind. I'll find it. Hi. What can I do for you? This is the headquarters of International Lecture Tours. Sure is. You in charge? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm the leg man. And I guess you're the boy I want to talk to. My name's Mitchell. Saunders is mine. I'm always glad to meet anyone from the States. You say you're the leg man for the outfit. What does that involve? You name it. The works. Shagging around the world in front of the wise men. Scheduling lecture dates, making hotel reservations, keeping them in toothpaste. Sounds like <laughs> quite a job. Well, there are probably easier ways of making a living. How'd you get into this racket? I was uh, stranded here in Sweden, broke. I heard these professors needed a nursemaid, so here I am. Look, I'd like a little information on these professors. Here are my credentials. Well, looks pretty official. What do you want to know, Mr. Mitchell? There are six professors in the circuit, right? Right. How well do you know them? How well can you know these birds? They live in an ivory tower all their own. Yeah. Where are they all now? This chart shows the setup. Stelters in Bombay, Duval's in Toronto, Chumley's in Cape Town, Buchek's in Copenhagen. You're really getting spread out. Yeah, yeah. Gerber's in the United States. Uh-huh. Aren't any of them anywhere near... Yeah, yeah. Dr. Friedrich? Right here in Stockholm, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm expecting him any minute. He's got some sort of beef, as usual. He's a real fireball. I'd like to meet him. Well, stick around. He ought to be here any minute. Sondals! He is. Sondals, what kind of a booking agent are you? That's a good question. How many times have I told you I must not have left the hotel room? Now, just take it easy, Dr. Friedrich. And take it easy, he says. And that dumb cop upstairs with his clump clump all night while I work on my lecture notes. How much could a man spend? Well, there, you've got me. If you'll just relax. And why you scheduled me in Stockholm this time of year when you know I would rather be in the United States? I did that because you and Dr. Gerber don't seem to get along too well, and I'd like to keep you apart. How come you don't get along with him, Dr. Friedrich? Ah, uh, because the theories he blabs about in his lectures, they are incorrect. They contradict my theories. And... What business is this of yours, young man? This is Steve Mitchell, a... A newspaper reporter, Dr. Friedrich. Uh, Mind telling me where you were last night? Working on my lecture notes. But that clump, clump, clump overhead, how could a man work? You know, that's funny. Funny, he says. It's an outrage. Well, I mean, I called your hotel about a lecture date last night, and they told me you were out. Oh? Uh, 
Well, yes, I had forgotten. I had an engagement for a while. Was she nice? Nice, she was worse. See here, this none of your business. Sondas, I leave you with two words. Get me better rooms with no dirt and no clump, clump, clump overhead, or I quit the tour. Goodbye. So now you've met Dr. Friedrich. Aye, aye, sure have. Well, I'll check with you later, Saunders. Back in my hotel room, I go over the deal in my mind. It's starting to take shape. Last night, a woman visits Kurt. This morning, he's gone. Friedrich doesn't like Kurt's father, and Friedrich was out with a woman last night. Yeah. On the surface, the pattern looks good, but I've got an uneasy feeling it could fall apart as fast as a smoke ring and a draft. Yeah? This is Saunders, Mitchell. I got an item you might be interested in. Shoot. Well, not five minutes after you left the office, in waltzes Dr. Butchek. Wait a minute. Butchek's supposed to be in Copenhagen. That's right. So I asked, how come? What'd the good doctor say? Just something about being tired. When did Butchek arrive? There you got me. You want the address? Yeah. Strand Hotel. Okay, thanks, Saunders. I think I'd better go over there and give Dr. Butchek the double check. <laughs> Yes? Well, hello. I'm Steve Mitchell, newspaper reporter from the United States. I'd like to see Dr. Buczek. I am Dr. Buczek. What? You seem surprised. I am. I thought Dr. Buczek was a man. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is a disappointment? (laughs) Come in, please. What can I do for you, Mr. Mitchell? I understand you canceled your lecture tour suddenly and returned here to Stockholm. Yes, I wish to spend Christmas with my friends. When did you get in? My plane landed this morning. Not last night. But of course not. I just told you I... You uh, also sure you weren't out at Dr. Wakefield's school last night? I've never heard of the place. See here, Mr. Mitchell, I'm quite certain that you're not a newspaper reporter. I'm also quite certain that my activities are none of your business. Well, uh, thanks for the interview. I can check up on your arrival time, you know. Please do. Hmm. A word with you, sir. What? Who are you? I'm Oscar. I'd like you to meet my friend Olaf. What? I don't see any. This is Olaf's gun in your back. He's the strong, silent type, but he has a very nervous trigger finger. Look, what's this all about? You shouldn't have bothered the young lady. Dr. Buczek? Now we have to go for a nice ride. A short one, no doubt. For us, yes. For you, such a long ride, I don't think you will ever... Look, if you think I'm going to stand here and let you... We don't expect you to stand. Olaf. Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. Twenty seconds from now, a fire will break out somewhere in the United States causing untold misery and devastation. More than 11,000 persons are killed annually by these fires, many more are injured, and more than $700 million worth of property is lost. The most tragic part of this statement lies in the fact that more than 90% of all fires in the home start through sheer carelessness and could be avoided. 
Here are a few simple rules of safety which will help you to protect your home and your loved ones from the ravages of fire. First, do not smoke in bed or discard lighted cigarettes carelessly. Second, clean out old newspapers, magazines, and other inflammable debris. Third, promptly repair all defective wiring and electrical equipment. If a wire looks frayed or worn, replace it at once. Fourth, use only those cleaning fluids which will not burn. And fifth, be careful with matches. Keep them out of the reach of small children. You can't afford to gamble with fire. The odds are against you every time. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Then I see they're carting me to the edge of a cliff. I wait until they get me right to the brink. Then I twist an arm loose and belt the big guy. Oh, that... He staggers back right over the edge. Oscar yanks at his gun in his pocket, but I flatten him. I run to the car, jump in and dig out along the road that runs near the edge of the cliff. So far, so good. Then I hear the shots. I twist my head for a quick look. Oscar's gotten to his feet and is pumping lead after me. Scores the bullseye on one of the tires. The car slews around. It starts careening towards the edge of the cliff out of control. I manage to get the door open and dive out just as it goes over the edge. I land on a ledge about 20 feet down from the top. Lie there in the brush just as the car bounces down to the bottom and bursts into flames. After a few moments, Oscar sticks his head over the top of the cliff and looks down at the burning wreck with a big grin on his face. He figures I'm getting a king-size hot foot about now. Finally, he turns and leaves. I give him a few minutes. And I drag myself together and head back into town to the lecture tour office. Hey, you look like you've been dragged through the well-known knothole, Mitchell. You're so well-known right. <laughs> hey, look, do you have a picture of Dr. Butchek around here anywhere, Saunders? Sure. Uh, here's a publicity still we send out to the papers. Will it do? Very nicely, thanks. She, uh, kind of made a hit with you. Yeah, a big hit. So now I'm going to return the compliment. I'm so glad you came, Mr. Mitchell. Something has happened that you should know about. What is it, Dr. Wakefield? You remember I told you a woman posing as Kurt's aunt came here to the school to see him the night before last. Sure, the night Kurt disappeared. What about it? That same woman was back here this morning. What? Yes, not an hour ago. I wasn't in my office at the time, but my secretary told me this woman inquired about Kurt again. Wait a minute. That means they don't have Kurt. Who's they? I think I know who one of them is. Here, take a look. Her name is Buchek. What about her? Isn't that the woman who was asking about Kurt? Why, no. What? I've never seen the woman in this picture before in my life. You sure about that? Of course. Oh, fine. My one lead blows right up in my face. Uh, come in. Oh, Hugo. Hello, Horace. Well, Dr. Friedrich. Huh? Oh, the nosy reporter. Yeah, I gather you were expecting him, Dr. Wakefield. Of course. Hugo and I are old friends. He drops in for tea and chess. Yeah. Oh. It's your move, Horace. No, I guess it's my move, gentlemen. I go outside and I'm really stumped. I've got to find Kurt and find out who's behind the deal, but I'm fresh out of leads. Then, as I'm walking through the school grounds, I spot the little girl with the curls, Ilza. 
Kurt's playmate. She's just slipping out a side gate with a little package under her arm. A sudden hunch hits me and I follow her. She takes off through the woods and then down the road. I keep out of her sight. Finally, she disappears into an old deserted barn. A couple of minutes later, she comes out empty-handed. I wait until she's out of sight. Then I go into the barn. There's a blonde kid sitting in a feed box munching on a sandwich. Hello. Hello, Kurt. Did you come to help me? Yeah. My father sent you? That's right. That is good. I've been praying for help. I knew it would come. Oh, yeah? What happened, Kurt? A woman came to see me at the school. She tried to make me go away with her. She said she was a friend of my father's, but I knew she was lying to me. Go on. Well, I asked her to wait outside my room while I packed. As soon as I was alone, I climbed out the window and ran away. I see. I'll uh, bet you're tired of eating sandwiches, huh? My girlfriend, Eels, has been bringing them to me. How'd you happen to pick this barn to hide in? Oh, I knew it was the right place as soon as I saw this manger. Manger? Yes. I read about a little boy in a manger once. I see. Well, I guess you couldn't have picked a better place, Kurt. Particularly on Christmas Eve. Will you take me to my father? Wait. Hey, two guys. Oscar and... Well, what do you know? So I finally find out who's my boy in this deal when it's too late. It's never too late. It will be if I can't come up with something real fast. My eyes flick around the barn looking for something, anything. Kurt is on his knees in the manger praying. Then I spot a light bulb dangling from the end of a wire. I yank the wire loose from the bulb and trail it behind me, holding it in my left hand by the insulated part. Then I lean against the stall Kurt's in and just wait. I take a quick look at him. His eyes are closed and his lips are moving a little... There he is. Yeah. Hello, Mitchell. Hello, Saunders. So you're the big boy. I'm the big boy. But some guys will do for a buck, huh? You sent me chasing after that Buchek woman so your two stooges would know where to pick me up, huh? Incidentally, where's your other stooge, the woman who tried to get Kurt at the school? She's waiting at my office until I take care of this little deal. Thanks for leading us here. Don't mention it. I'm afraid you've kind of complicated things, Mitchell. Hmm? Originally, I was going to grab Kurt and keep him so Gerber wouldn't spill about me. But now you know the deal, so that means i got to get rid of both of you. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. His gun starts swinging in my direction. It's now or never. I whip the electric wire out from behind my back and lash at his gun with it. A sort of blue flame wrapped around the gun. Saunders drops it and grabs his hand. I give him a fist. Oscar dives for the gun, but I'm waiting for him. I tie the two of them up with their belts. And I turn to Kurt. He's still sitting in the manger, looking at me calmly. Is it all over, Mr. Mitchell? It will be as soon as we pick up Saunders' girl at the lecture office. I prayed that something would happen to deliver us. It happened. Well, you see, I sort of made it happen, Kurt. Did you? I prayed for a bolt of lightning, Mr. Mitchell. Well, I guess you could call that electric spark a bolt of lightning, but it was man-made lightning. Was it? How did you happen to think of it? Oh, I guess I just sort of... Well, I mean, I saw the light. Yeah, I guess I sure did. You see? Yeah. Yeah, I see. I'm the last guy in the world to argue the point, believe me. <laughs> Funny. I was the one who was screaming that my Christmas was spoiled. Thanks, Kurt. For what? For one of the best Christmases I've ever had. Come on, you're going home to your father.
our star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. On New Year's Day, the NBC Radio Network will send your way two important football games. From Dallas, Texas, home of the famed Cotton Bowl, NBC will broadcast the game between the University of Texas Longhorns and the University of Tennessee Volunteers. Mike's side for NBC at Dallas will be Lindsey Nelson and Bob Murphy to bring you every exciting play as Texas Southwest Conference champions and Tennessee, one of the fine teams of the Southeast, clash in this traditional New Year's Day bowl game. And then following the Cotton Bowl game, NBC will switch controls to Pasadena, California for the granddaddy of all bowl games, the Rose Bowl. Al Helfer and Braven Dyer will handle the Rose Bowl play-by-play broadcast between the University of Southern California Trojans, the Pacific Coast Conference champions, and the University of Wisconsin Badgers, co-holders of the Big Ten Championship. So here's our invitation to you to be set side on New Year's Day when NBC broadcasts both the Cotton Bowl and the Rose Bowl football games. Tonight and tomorrow, as all of us throughout our great country celebrate Christmas with our families, trees and gifts, let's not forget that it's the giving, not the getting, which is the true celebration. And let's remind ourselves of the one gift we can all give, the gift which costs us nothing, to give thanks. And now, from all of us on Dangerous Assignment, to all of you, a very Merry Christmas. This is John Storm speaking and saying be with us again next week at this time for another transcribed Dangerous Assignment. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe. And we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.